the moral of the story is you got to keep your eyes open for opportunities and say yes when they come about. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. Twice a month, we get together to talk about the world of project management and what matters to you as part of that world. We talk with experts, veterans in the field, and those who are finding creative ways to take the profession to the next level. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the guys who might say are at a level of their own, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, I cannot wait to see what today's guest holds for us. This is going to be a good one. You know, Coop is kind of famous around the office here, and Uh so a lot of people uh, know him. He's got a good reputation, and I'm really eager to get into this new topic for us of business analysis. Well, we should mention that we recently took a survey of our listeners, and one of the topics they requested was the subject of business analysis. So today's podcast is a result of those requests. So let's meet him. Coop Coopersmith is an accountant, an IT consultant, a writer, speaker, coach, trainer, and improv comedian. He helps individuals and businesses achieve their goals through focusing on professional skills, business analysis, project management, and leadership skills. Coop is the author of Business Analysis for Dummies and is known throughout the industry as someone who can make you laugh while learning. He has stated that one of his life's goals is to meet everyone. Coop, we're bringing you just a little bit closer to that goal here today. It's great to have you here on Matters This. And I'm, I'm excited to be here. Now, I think we need to talk uh, about that unique combination first of business coach and, and improv comedian. How did that come about? Yeah, I, I think it, it all started. Well, I think I'll start with the end in mind. The, uh, the moral of the story is you got to keep your eyes open for opportunities and say yes when they come about. Um, So I was 17 years old, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and was going to college and didn't know what major to pick. And my dad said, uh, Jonathan, you love math. Why don't you become an accountant? Everybody (laughs) needs an accountant. You'll have a good job, benefits. I was like, okay, dad, I'll, I'll become an accountant. So I went to school for an accounting degree. I got my degree, was pretty bored along the way, but thought, you know what? I graduated now, I gotta use this degree. Um, and I, I, sometimes I hate to admit it, but, uh, what do all good accountants try to do in the end? They try to get their CPA exam. So I, I'm two years into my career, sit for the CPA exam. And I still, I still think I'm on record as being the best failure of the CPA exam. So, <laughs> right uh, <up> there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I knew that was kind of like the tipping point for me. Uh, okay, well, you know, I wasn't too excited about this career. Maybe I need to look into something else. And I had this creative itch, so I kind of looked into becoming a comedian. I was at, actually, you know, in the early 90s, there was a lot of stand-up comedy in Atlanta. Um, so I went to a show and was like, I, I think I can do that. Well, I failed at stand-up comedy as well as I did at the CPA exam. But, a debit and a credit yeah. walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't. I actually, so that's the one thing. So I went into improv, and I, I was hoping you guys, you know, I'm an improv comedian, and not say, oh, 
you know, Coop, tell us a joke because that's the worst thing. And and if you did ask me that, I was going to say it was a a bar joke like that. Like 222. (laughs) Let's get started. 222 PMs walk into a bar and the bartender says, hey, we don't serve you PMs here. And the 222 PMs reply, ooh, we didn't plan for that response. Uh, Wow. Wow. Oh, it could get better, though. (laughs) I'm just thinking. I bet it can. If I'm going (laughs) to, like, I can't believe you said that to me. Oh, okay. Or, hey, man, that's double. WBS, man. <laughs> yeah, so it could get worse. You know. Hey, hey, we're not pimps, right? We're PMPs. PMPs. We're not, yeah, right. It's an acronym. Yes. Right, yeah. So, um, or, oh, I just thought of this one. Hey, okay, okay, I understand, but what's the critical path to leave the bar? Okay. You like All that? Right, I like that. No, I, Andy didn't like that one. Well, time. I'm working <laughs> on it. Right, right. I thought you said this was going to get better. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Did I end up end on the band? So anyway, so um, I, I decided to audition for some improv troops. I got brought on, trained, and then I started performing improv for uh, basically every weekend for about 10 years in Atlanta. At the same time, I transitioned to like a reporting analyst role and – uh, into a BA role and then PM role. Because, you know, I was a subject matter expert in financial applications, right. so I joined projects. So you had these two identities right. going, you know. Two uh, parallel lives yeah, going, yeah. yeah. Like Clark Kent <laughs> and Superman, but yeah. some, somehow you, you managed to merge them together. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Happen? Yeah. Well, at some point, my wife and I decided to have a family, and she said, okay, you got to go for the improv stuff or, you know, stick with the IT career. And improv was paying me about $50 a week. Um, <laughs> Uh-huh. And most of that was spent on beer after the show. So um, I kind of decided to stick to the IT career. But later on, I became the, the president of a training organization and realized we were trying to figure out, okay, how can we help BAs be better on the ground and do what they do? Uh, and I harkened back to it was the improv skills that I had that made me better collaborator, team player, open-minded, able to be creative and solve problems. Along those lines, Coop, I'm curious about, from a BA's perspective, you're a business analyst. You've worked with a ton of project managers, those pimps that you talk about, <laughs> the 222. How do they coexist? What's, they're both superheroes on projects, we hope, but how do they coexist? What's yeah, a good relationship? You know, in that, you know, I know there's still, you know, when I first started writing about business analysis and project management, um, that that was like a big topic. And it still seems to be a big topic. And it sometimes it surprises me. It's like, why can't we all get along? I, I think we, you know, it's it's more, less, the, you know, the Batman-Superman fight, right? Yeah. And I think even in that movie, Batman versus Superman, or Superman versus Batman, I remember. But in that movie, they come together in the end, exactly. right, to yes. fight the common enemy. And I, th- I think that's how it has to be. And, uh, you know, and then I'll go a sidebar. I don't even know if Batman is a superhero, really, but uh, just a, a tough guy that's with intimidating voice. We've got to migrate off of the DC universe for a minute because okay. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> Thor and Hulk. And here's the point is they don't really get along. You know, they're, they are more often fighting each other than fighting any common enemy. They're not friends. So this is, this is sort of the interesting part with the BA and the PM because a project manager um, – a lot of times ends up doing some of the work of a business analyst and vice versa. Those two Venn diagrams overlap a mm-hmm. lot sometimes. How do, we, how do we distinguish those roles? What do you see when, when it works and works well? What are the, uh, what are the, what are the attributes? I, I think it comes down to one thing. It's conversations, right? It's not – so there is a Venn diagram. Every BA is not the same. Every PM is not the same. So to say PMs, you do – a through F 
VAs you do G through whatever, there there is the overlap. So the teams have to sit down. I mean, the best PM I worked with, a woman named Ellie Stokes, I think, we used to call each other Batman and Robin, right? It was like, but we would talk and like, hey, who's going to handle? We knew what aspects had to get done in the initiative. Who can handle it? Who's best to handle it? Who has the time? I mean, when I... When early in my PM career, that's I didn't care what people's roles were. I got assigned a project, and we got in a room just like we're sitting in today, and said, "Okay, guys, we're we're here today. Here's our goal at the end. How do we get there?" Um, and to me, it didn't matter who did the work. It's who's the best person who has the time. Now, I think in the end, eighty percent of the work someone did fell into their job title. But I think we right. got to throw job titles out. As a project manager, I take a lot of agency and ownership over my project. And so it makes me really nervous. I mean, I am, I can be a bit of a control freak on a top-down waterfall project. We've got it on tape. Easy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? But I take I take my job seriously and I take my responsibility really, really seriously to successfully deliver the project. Now, I've worked, uh, I did a bank migration project years and years ago. And I had a BA who really was a superhero. She was amazing. And she was deep into uh, the, the understanding of the business rules. And as you can imagine, it was a big bank buying another big bank. So it was a, it was a big migration. There were a lot of rules to be done. And she was incredible in that role. I've also had BAs that weren't so incredible. Yeah, and that's why it's a conversation. Right, that's the no BA or PM is is alike. We're not robots, right? Mm-hmm. So we have different skills. And that's why it gets tough when, when you just talk about, okay, the PM does this and the BA does that. It doesn't work. Because that superhero BA, I guarantee you allowed her to do more than other people, right? So back right. to you being a slight control freak. You let some control go to her because you were comfortable. I yeah. like the way you used the word slight. That was good. Well, I didn't, you know. <laughs> and there was trust. <laughs> right. I had a oh. lot of trust in her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it comes to that. All right, so clearly if I'm the PM and Coop is my BA, you're going to be doing the kickoffs. You're going to be doing the icebreakers. You got the jokes. Okay, uh, yeah, so, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Diagram, right, that part exactly. of it's real clear to me. But talk from a higher level, you know, take the personality out of it for a minute. For a BA, for a business analyst, what do you think is the greatest value that they can bring? I used to say that the greatest value is a BA should be able to kill a project that shouldn't be moving forward. Wow. You know, know, because you guys know projects go off the rails, they lose sight of scope, et cetera. I've never heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm supposed to be the comedian. (laughs) But I kind of tweak that a little, and it's it's part of how I talk about business analysis today, um, is that it's really to help guide decision making right and a decision is to stop a project readjust a project so to me it all comes down all the work that bas do on projects is to help people make decisions so why did they elicit requirements they're eliciting requirements and gathering that stuff so somebody can make a decision of what's most important and how to prioritize to me it's you know it's also with Understanding the risks, business risks of a project. What does that help a QA analyst make decisions on? They now know what do we have to make sure we test before we move forward on things? What are the most critical things to test? So it's like those are some examples of just it's all about decision making. Okay. Well, I've heard you say before your job is to help people, others get to decisions. 
how do you do that? How do you go about approaching that? Because some people, um, I was described early in my career as being often wrong, but never in doubt. I wasn't afraid to make a decision. <laughs> right. Um, uh, I've gotten a little bit more circumspect as I've got older and a little bit more careful about things. But how do you help somebody? Some people are paralyzed by decisions. Right. How do you go about this? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of cognitive biases that, and there's books written about this in length. Um, Decisive is one of the ones that I point to by Chip and Dan Heath a lot. Um, yeah. But it's a lot of the cognitive biases that people are in, and, and BAs and other you know other people on the team. I think in general projects. Uh, the focus of project is about decisions, right? If decisions don't get made on a project, what happens? Well, mm. it stalls out. Exactly. Yeah, it's going right. to fail. So that's why no matter – like people talk about what the roles are about, and it's, oh, I, I do this, I do that. Like they're talking about the tasks and not uh, about the outcomes that have to come about. So, um, so back to helping people make decisions. I think one of the key uh, biases is it's – I forgot the name of it now, but it, it's like – basically coming down to choice, like narrowing the frame. So a lot of Mm. teams and people might give people one choice or the other. So you can do this or do that. That is tough for somebody to make a decision. And typically there's not many decisions that are this or that. Um, There's something in between. So you have to broaden the frame for people and give them a variety of options that they can choose from. Another big one is confirmation bias. Um, So people, like early on in projects, even though people are like, okay, we're going to step back and we're going to try to understand the requirements they already have in their head, what they think the solution is going to be. You just proved my point. Right, right. Absolutely. And and what they do, the confirmation bias is about – when people have an idea, they just see things that confirm their thoughts, right? right. Even though there's something right in their face that is anti that, they, um, they'll say, well, that doesn't really apply to our situation. Right. Yeah, it disagrees with me, but it doesn't apply to us. So BAs really need to kind of push, be, whether you call it a devil's advocate. Uh, I used to work for Turner Broadcasting, which owns CNN. And in the news industry, they have... Uh, something called the red team. So if there's a big breaking story, you want to make sure that you have people that aren't part of working on that story. And then like in the the final throes of that story, bring it to the red team and they start poking holes in it because they're not connected to it at all. And that's what BAs have to do. They have to start poking holes in things and making sure that people have good information to make those decisions. Outstanding. We should mention that Right now, Velociteach has released a brand new online course with you. What? Yes. yes. <laughs> this is news to me. Wait a minute. How, We've been you guys taping following me? you. Like, maybe, yeah, right? maybe. <laughs> well, what is the focus uh, of that course? So it, it's about lean business analysis, and it really does come down to helping people make decisions. So I think, you know, people ask me, well, what's lean business analysis? Are there lean techniques that you can use? And it's really not a technique, but it's doing what's needed to move the project forward. So um, I I think it's happening less and less today, but even on a a contract that I'm working on now as a program manager, I see people, I'll give an example of like a status report. People have to fill out their status reports every two weeks, but what do they do? They just fill in the boxes, Mm. right? They're not thinking about why am I filling it in and what do I need to do? So lean business analysis is first understanding the decisions that have to be made on a project. And then how do I help 
the people that will be making those decisions get to that decision. And once you're done making a decision, move on. Go to the next thing. And you might have to revisit the decision. So Andy's a you know, a quick, decisive decision maker. Um, and he might make a decision, but most decisions are reversible. So if you get more information, you can go back to Andy with that later. But don't, don't sit there overanalyzing things to the nth degree. Then you'll never move forward. You know, Coop, I've done a good bit of work with uh, Six Sigma and Lean mm-hmm. Six Sigma. And in that, one of the things I love about it is it's so much about valuable processes. So you're not just looking and saying, we're doing this because uh, we're, we're filling out a status report because that's what we do on Fridays. Huh. None of that. But every process gets examined for its value and for how pertinent it is right now. And so that matters. And I don't know if that translates into lean BA as yeah, well. That's yeah. a, no, that's exactly, that's where it came from, right? That's where, and in the course I talk, what's the definition of lean? And then I drill it down to specifically for what I say is lean business analysis, but it's that. It's how can we add customer value and the customers being the people that we work with and the stakeholders that we're working on project for and do it with the least amount of effort and time, right? Um, But it's got to add that value still. Yes, and it's overwhelming when you look at organizations because processes, once they're in place, they don't tend to go away. People don't put a sunset clause on them. They don't put an expiration date with them. And it is so valuable when somebody walks in and just cleans it up. This is not adding value anymore. We don't need to do this anymore. We can make this simpler and cleaner and, and, uh, you know, more part of the value stream. Right. And that, so if you narrow it down to the process or approach of a BA, that's what I'm talking about, right? It's like, how do we lean out all the other stuff? Don't just do something because, because that's our SDLC here. No, constantly be thinking about why am I doing this? How is it going to add value? Years ago, I wrote a blog that I think we all in projects should be paid on commission, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then you would really be thinking about, okay, if I'm paid on commission, I got to get this project done and it's got to hit the objectives, yada, yada. I'm only going to do things that I care about. I'm not going to do stuff. Well, you know, the PMO has a uh, process and it says we have to do it, so I'm going to do it, right? And right. check the box. Well, right? the trouble you get into with that is that now it's somebody's job. Somebody's compensated for checking that box uh, as opposed to paid on the commission of the value of checking right, that box. Right, yeah. They're paid to sit there and check boxes, and they want that job. You right. know, it comes with benefits and yeah, retirement right, yeah. and whatever. <laughs> That's right. This syncs up perfectly with a statement you made earlier, Coop, which is early on in your career you felt like the most important thing the BA did was kill bad projects or kill things that needed to be have a bullet put in them so this this concept of lean and lean ba i get that you're looking for value and you're not afraid to say hey this doesn't add value or we could do it more effectively there's there's too much churn here we need to tweak this that i get that and i one of the concepts that that i've heard you speak on is analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. and you make the statement we can all learn from amazon and uh, you talk about their 70 percent rule Talk about that a bit. Yeah, so they have, you know, they feel, and I don't even know how they calculate 70%, but it's like they get to, and I used to talk about this all the time, like um, you have to do just enough requirements. And people would buy into that. They would like, oh, yeah, Coop, that's perfect. Um, How do, uh," and then they would ask, well, how do you, 
get to just enough requirements. I'm like, oh, sorry, the phone's breaking up. I can't hear you. I'll call you back. Because I was like, I knew, like, I knew how to do it, but I didn't know. Yeah, how do you explain? Like, how do you explain to someone what I'm doing? And that's how I got to the decision making with some other people. Um, but the the seventy percent rule is, you know, more about a bias towards action, right? I mean, that's one of the big things that you read about right. Amazon, what they do. They it's like get enough information, take action. If we're wrong, we'll reverse the the decision. And most decisions on projects. Now I think there are strategic decisions, like a company is gonna make a strategic decision to get into a line of business. That's not as reversible. You gotta right. you gotta commit to that and say we are going to do this. Um, look, I'll take you guys. If you're saying now we're going to get into doing some more BA stuff, we got to commit to it. So can I get a contract here that we're committing? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I see what he's doing to his <laughs> You neck. see that? No, but you got to commit to something, right, that there's uh, clearly we're going to go for it. But the ins and outs of those items can be reversible and changed. Like you might make a decision to we're going to do this feature here, we're going to do that feature there. You know what? That feature is not working, getting us closer, so let's reverse it. One of the things that Agile has brought into the project management community is this idea of barely sufficient documentation. Right. So that's it. Yeah. It's that's... the same idea, and that's something that I'm not, I'm not always a big fan of a hybrid approach. I think sometimes uh, top-down or sometimes waterfall works better, and sometimes Agile works better. Right now, we're doing a little bit more on the agile side in terms of projects we're doing around here but it doesn't work for everything but boy i love that idea of barely sufficient documentation all the way across it's been a good thing yeah and you know i'm i might have a slightly different belief of waterfall agile or the the hybrid i think teams like all these things are not one way or the other right. it's like teams have to come together based on their i mean they're like i'm working with someone right now they're not in an agile mode i mean it's going to be more disruptive if i push that person right. to be mm-hmm. agile it, the project will fail even though it's agile right, right. Mm-hmm. so you have to look at okay what what's going to work best for this team what is the makeup of like if there's a lot of knowns like if you're doing an accounting package, I mean, accounting packages have been implemented for years. There's right. knowns. It's like you just have to walk through the right. steps. So why are you going to do that in an agile manner? Just go do it step by step. But there's things where there's a lot of unknowns that we want to highlight risks. And it's like, okay, let's do these things in short chunks, learn from it, and adapt as we go. But it's figuring out what works for the team and that project and deciding on what to do. Coop, one of the key points that you've made, I think, is that a BA adds value by driving decisions, right? And the BA is not making the decision. Typically, the BA is is teeing it up, right? Right. So a tool that you mentioned is a decision responsibility matrix. Right. Is that right? A map or a matrix? Yeah. DRM. We love abbreviations. So a DRM. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes I get in trouble. People are like, oh, you know, there's been a racy around forever. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I just feel like, and I, I don't know if you guys feel this way, I see races being used and then they just sit on the shelf somewhere. And I guess, and I think, I still can't tell you, and maybe you guys can explain it to me, but I think there's always a big disconnect. What's responsibility versus right. accountability? I mean, it could go back and forth and people can circulate. I, I know I'm going to help you can, with that. Right? Yeah, you I can't know. throw that out there I'm and sitting, then walk away from it. Sitting across from the guy that... <laughs> Probably define the thing. Right? Lots yeah. of people can be responsible for doing the work. One person is accountable. So uh, we're big on one perfect. head to pat, one butt to kick. That's the A in that call, and there's only one A. 
but lots of people can have ours because, look, it's your job to do the work, so you're responsible for it. Yes, Andy, that, I mean, that that's where it's similar with the... Uh, the accountable, the A, the one person being accountable, is right. where I think there's one person accountable for making the decision, which is the D. Okay. So getting clarity on who's accountable for making the decision is very critical because a lot of times decisions don't get made because you have people – nobody knows who is making the decision or you have multiple people thinking they're the ones accountable for making the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's not clarity around that, there can be a lot of churn. So if yeah, go what ahead. What does this thing look like? Just give me a picture. What does that decision So, so I think down, down the left is the decision maker. Who is going to help that decision maker uh, make the decision? So a lot of times that's the BA and other people on the team getting information to the decision maker to be able to make that decision. And then there's people that need to be aware of that decision being made. And that gets left off a lot, right? I mean, yeah, decision gets made, but no one on the team huh. knows about it. Right. And it's like, uh, well, that's that would have been good. And then like... The, the columns across are all the different decisions being made. So to me, that's a team needs to have that up. They need to right. – new decisions. Something comes up in an initiative, there's a new decision that might have to get made. Well, get it up on the document. Make sure you have all three of those buckets filled. Coop, think about the role that culture in an organization plays in making decisions because I've seen some organizations that are very open, experimental. They allow mistakes. Um, some of them, in a in a kind of a strange way, even reward that idea of experimenting. We talk all the time here about spikes. We use them from the agile terminology. Maybe a little bit different than your classic agilist might, but we we throw a lot of spikes here, meaning we do a lot of experiments. But then there are some organizations where you make a mistake, you make a wrong decision, and you're out. And so, how does culture influence some of this with your matrix? It completely culture driven right so yeah there are risk adverse organizations and more risk uh allowance can happen Mm -hmm. where yeah let's have these spikes let's experiment but then move forward and i think everybody's got to figure out where they can fail or how bad they can fail uh with making these decisions but it is a cultural thing that has to be worked out but i think just having this drm up to, to show, I think most people realize, uh, yeah, we have to make decisions. That I don't think anybody can argue with that. So using it with, with getting away from making mistakes and not making mistakes, just at least having who can make that decision. But that is the, that's the one big fear of people making the decision is I don't want to make the decision because if I'm wrong, then maybe it's a career-limiting move. You know one of the best signs that I've found personally in my career of people who are afraid to make decisions or organizations that are afraid to make decisions is meetings. They call meetings. People are terrified. They don't feel empowered, so they call all their peers together, and they want to get everybody in. And we're big these days on consensus. I think it might be overrated. It's like make a decision and move on. Absolutely. i got to ask you this. You have said that your favorite quotation is from Sylvester Stallone's Rocky character. And that quotation is, life's not about how hard of a hit you can give. It's about how many you can take and still keep moving forward. How does that play into all of this, this discussion? So I think it's what what Andy was just talking about, like getting hit for making a mistake and being, okay, Mm. let's learn from it, get up and move forward. You know, where... You're gonna. There's gonna be more uh, failures than there are like these hyper exciting moments. So you can If you keep getting hit and say, "Well, I'm out. I'm not gonna do it," then 
you're never going to move forward. And I think in organization, what what happens is what Andy was explaining. Somebody does something. They make a decision, they do something, and someone hits them down. Some manager, someone else on their team kind of knocks them down, and they just give up. They're like, well, you know what? I'm just going to now go through the motions, right? You, mm. That's what you want me to do, Andy? You tell me what to do because right. I'm not – and to me, that's not going to help anybody. Eventually, Andy's going to be like, well, you're really not working out. Like, why am I paying you that much just to – Sit there, and I tell you what to you do. You get so, named director of special projects. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I love everybody's that. favorite <laughs> career. I move. love that. It's like, ooh, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that—that's what I'm talking about. It's like you're going to get knocked down. People are going to get upset with you. People are going to yell at you, maybe. Um, but you got to learn from it and be like, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to get back up and do it. Mm. I love your answer. I, I was just hoping you'd do it in, in, in a rocky accent. Oh, hey, yo, Nick, you know, uh, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Hey. <laughs> there, I, as I was looking at the course that you've created, you collaborated with us on, you've got uh, several re- – I don't remember a Rocky reference. I know there's a Finding Nemo reference. I know there's a Moneyball reference. Oh, really? I like it. I have a Finding Nemo reference? Yes, you do. Okay. <laughs> and uh, there, there's several. You talk about Daniel Pink. You talk about mm-hmm. Pixar. You talk about mm. the Heath brothers. And uh, all that resonates with me. I love that. One of the – you know, here's a specific thing that, uh, Coop, that you camp out on, which is – you see BAs fail when they hyper-focus on features and they lose the big picture of the desired outcome. Right. Um, do you have a word of advice regarding yeah, that? Yeah, not that. I don't think it's BAs completely. Um, I, I, BAs lead to that, but um, the so team, it's the project teams manager's fail. Fault. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I see. Uh, no, the teams fail for that. Because, you know, if you're looking at the success of a project – being, you know, at, and at the beginning, you have to come up, you have ideas of, okay, what do we think, you know, we have our objective, we have that outcome, what are we trying to achieve? Um, and we think we're going to do it with these 10 features. Um, and, and you have to do that, you have to, to at least get some vision of the future. But if you then focus on, okay, we're successful, if we implement those 10 features, you're going to fail. Because once you're going in and learning, five of those features might not be needed to get to our outcome. We might need five new ones, or we might only need three and we're done. So it's constantly readdressing, did we reach our outcome? And in the, um, I know I used the story of the path that me and my neighbors built, right? Right. Our outcome was to build a path that people can walk up um, in their flip-flops, up and down the path in their flip-flops. And we we debated for a while, what are the features that we're going to have for this path? If we stuck to that, we would have been spending more money than we would have had to. It would have taken us a lot longer. But as we, we just started with the first feature we had to do, and then we learned and went on to the next one. And, and it ended up that half of the things we thought we were going to do, we didn't, and we added some extra ones. So I'm so glad you're in the room because with that story, a point of confusion for me is the outcome. There are two outcomes. The mm, path yeah. is supposed to get to the school and or the pub. Can you, what's up with that? Yeah, right. It was really, so I'll tell you, it was really the, it was really the pub, but it was like, you know what, the, the kids' schools are over there too. We probably need to add that as okay. a, uh, kids go retrieve dad. I know. Right. Uh, yeah. I had this it is vision. scary. I don't know if I mentioned it in the course, but it's kind of, you know, our neighborhood, there's, especially on St. Patrick's Day, the kids are, if St. Patrick's Day is, you know, during the week, there's like adults drinking at this one bar <laughs> while the kids are walking to the school. I do not condone that. Uh, you, you're not the planner on that. You're not the city planner. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very 
I know you do a lot of speaking engagements. How can people get in touch with you about those and your other activities? Yeah, I think the there's actually three ways. Best is go to my site, www.couptalks.com, and Coop is spelled K-U-P-E. For those that might have spelt it C-O-O-P. And uh, at Coop, you can find me on Twitter, at Coop, K-U-P-E again. And uh, check me out on LinkedIn. So, you know, one of my goals was to to meet everybody in the world. So the way I stay connected with a lot of people in the business space is on LinkedIn. So you could find me there as well. And I think that's a worthy goal. <laughs> All right, Coop. Thanks so much for being with us. A pleasure to have you. We've got a little mug for you here to take away as a souvenir. We appreciate uh, you being here with us. And today. I, I appreciate the mug because when Wendy told me that was part of the agenda, I, that's <laughs> when I agreed to come. So. That was the hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Coop. Andy and Bill, always a pleasure. We here at Manage This want to express our sincere appreciation to everyone who took part in our recent survey to help us to get to know you better and find out in more detail what topics you're interested in hearing more about. And we also want to remind you about the double benefit you're getting from listening to this podcast. As you collect PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications, remember you earned them just for listening to Manage This. To claim them, go to VelociTeach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on August 21st for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at VelociTeach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at Manage underscore This. If you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications, we're here for you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.